Hey everybody, welcome to Pit Stops to Podium, the Red Partners podcast, where we talk to execs who have competed in one, taking their companies from high growth to high scale. Well, my name is Brendan Tolleson. I am the co-founder and CEO of Red Partners, and I'm delighted to have with me today, Rob Foreman. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, for those who don't know, Rob is the co-founder, president, and chief strategy officer of Sales Loft. So we're very lucky to have him with us today. Uh, Rob, for those that don't know who Sales Loft is, how about you give the elevator pitch on, on what you do and who you serve? Yeah. So Sales Loft helps salespeople close more revenue. And uh, salespeople need to do two things in this modern age. They need to provide a good buying process for their buyers, and they need to be helpful through it, but they need to do it in a scalable fashion so that the, the company can scale and be efficient. And so SalesLoft, through our sales engagement platform, helps them do just that, where they have a list of actions that they're knocking out. They can, they have, we have a deals product that helps manage opportunities, and then a conversation product, which records calls that they're on and helps them reflect and learn from it. It's a great product. I've been a big fan and user in the past. I'm sure most of our audience has as well. Well, Rob, before we get into our big idea, one of the things that's a tradition here at Pit Stops Podium is getting to know our guests outside of work. Uh, so what are three fun facts that our audience should know about you uh, outside of Sales Loft? Yeah, yeah, this is great. Um, so if you walked into my office back when I had an office before COVID, I don't even remember, sitting on my desk, would be a picture of my family with this inscription under it that said, your first startup. And it was a gift from my wife, um, uh, just uh, you know, as a fun kind of play off of the fact that I'm in startups. And uh, it would have a picture of uh, me and her and our five kids. And so that's one fun fact is that we have a big family. Um, we have five kids. My oldest is 14. My youngest is eight. Um, uh, three joined us through adoption. And so it's just been so awesome to have, uh, you know, the, to, to, to be a part of that. And, yeah. um, and it's certainly more than I ever imagined and, and, and been really fruitful and fun. I, I like how you set that up with uh, the first startup in terms of having your priorities, right? And I, I, imagine yeah, exactly. you have a lot of, I imagine you have a lot of free time for golf. So is that, is that your second? Uh, that was, uh, that was that, my second fun fact was that was the hobby I gave up. It was probably two <laughs> years into sales loft and a buddy of mine, um, he was looking for golf clubs. And I said, you can 100% have mine. I sold them to him. Because I was like, yeah, that sport does not gel right now. Um, and it was a shame because I loved it. I, uh, I, my wife had got me golf pro lessons when, before we had kids and all that <laughs> stuff. But maybe it'll, maybe it'll come back later. You mean um, you don't, you don't That's have actually four? not my... Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Actually, that, that's actually not my fun fact. We just threw that in. Second one is that um, I'm, a, I'm a country boy. And, uh, and I love... I, I have a 30-acre farm and I love being down here. We have beef cattle. And um, I... I come from a big family. And so my parents, um, in order to, to sort of, I guess, keep their sanity, they would let a couple of us kids go down and spend the summers, like six to eight weeks in the summers with my grandparents in Alabama, Clay County, Alabama, um, which is about 40 miles from where my farm is now. And so I just, uh, I love being outside and being in the country. And, and uh, I, I, you know, I put on the button up when I, the button down shirt when I need it. Um, but I love, I love being outside when I don't have to. That's great. Hopefully that's been uh, used pretty heavily during this COVID season where you can essentially work from anywhere. Yeah, cra crazy. It's been a, a huge, you know, it's a huge blessing to us where we've been able to to kind of give the kids some space to run. Um, but yeah, be, you know, we're safe when we're isolating. Nice. All right. So you have a big family, you're a country yep. boy. And, and what's yep. our what's our third fact? Yeah. So the third fact is my favorite car ever 
is a 1995 Geo Metro, which has three cylinders. I didn't know they made cars <laughs> with three cylinders. And it's a one liter engine. And, um, and it's just fun. It actually really is my favorite car. The reason is um, before that, when I was, uh, I had gotten this job early in my career at a startup and I was making a lot of money and I was like, you know what I need? I need a sports car. And I bought this Corvette and I had a car payment of $863 when I was just spending way too much money. And the insurance was even crazier because I'm, I don't know, 21 years old at this time. And, um, and it actually over time really became just I suffocating. I hated it. And I eventually sold the car. I had a ton of debt coming out of it. I was upside down in it. And my, uh, my brother-in-law sold me this, this Metro for $400 and that was when I got on the kick of really financial health and I paid off all my debts. And, um, I loved driving that car cause it represented freedom. Hmm. And I was sad. I was sad the day it finally died. Do you still have it somewhere or did, is it just, uh, only, in, only in my heart, <laughs> only heart. Of pictures too. And it's like the worst puke, puke, like mint green color. Uh, it's, it's terrible, but, um, it was, it was awesome because it was exactly what I could afford and it, and it helped me achieve my other goals. That's great. And so now you probably trade that in for the minivan with the five kids. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. So I got a Ford Ranger and then, yeah, my wife has the minivan because they got, they got to fit somewhere. They don't fit in the Ranger. Definitely not a sports car. Well, Rob, that was great. I appreciate that. Let's transition to the big idea. Uh, you've obviously experienced a lot of growth at sales law from when you started to where you are now. And and I think one of those the big pieces, or at least the fundamental pieces that's probably helped you get there is around people. And so getting yeah. the right people in the right seats. And I think it's a great topic for our audience as they're experiencing that high growth to high scale, because that uh, is so fundamental uh, in order to help you accomplish the growth and the objectives that you have as an organization. So let's let's park on that topic for our big idea today. Um, and I kind of already tease it out, but in your mind, you know, as we start out, why, why is hiring so important? Um, I guess it's so important because I can't think of anything more important than it. Hmm. I remember hearing somebody say, you don't set your culture, you hire it, which I imagine there's a tension, right? Some of it is you do set the direction, you advertise and all that. But the, really what it reinforced with me is the importance of hiring people that are aligned to it because values are not something that tend to change quickly. Um, we, we pick them up as part of you know childhood and growing up and through life experience and it makes us who we are. And so if I want people who have similar values, then I'm not going to train that into them. I'm likely going to need to hire it. Um, reminds me of a quote from Jack Welch who said, hiring good people is hard. Hiring great people is brutally hard. <laughs> and yet nothing matters more to winning than getting the right people on the field. And so, you know, when I think about, um, people who have gone ahead of us and it's just every day I learn a little bit more how much they were right. And I didn't fully take it into account that hiring is hard. It takes time. It takes practice. And the reason I focus on um, like the why and really park on the why is because if hiring and interviewing is a skill, which I think it is, and I think most people would agree, and it is really, really important, then the natural next question would be, well, how much time and effort do we spend on getting better at it? How, how much time do I invest in it? Am I, am, I, am I recruiting just on the edges of my time? And when I find somebody, I'm just so happy to get somebody in the seat, I just hire them. Or have I really put in the, the effort required to become great at it? I don't know anybody great at anything that didn't put in a lot of work. And so it really sets the stage for, as a team and as a leader, we're going to need to put in the work 
to get great at hiring great people. And that is our job, not their job. Sometimes I've seen where we put it on the individuals to kind of sh- kind of show us who you are. And, you know, one of the best people I ever hired, I almost didn't because they were a little bit quiet and I was not that experienced at as, as interviewing. And I think about, man, what a mistake I would have made in the diamond in the rough I would have missed if I hadn't gotten, if I hadn't done that. And it, it really, it pushed me to, um, to get better at it. Um, it's my job to be good at interviewing, not theirs. I like that. That's a good way to position it. And it's also a natural segue to our next uh, point. When you talked about you almost didn't hire the person because they didn't have uh, what you like a pre- preconceived notion in your mind of what a right hire is. So how have you built these frameworks, these techniques to make sure that you get the right people for the right seat? Yeah. Once, uh, once I have alignment and kind of a, a, a kind of base setting of that, this is important. It's going to take work. We're going to have to, you know, iterate at this. Um, then I needed a framework. I'm a framework guy. And, uh, and so I, I, I got, I forget, someone referred me, it might've been my co-founder Kyle to this book, um, who, um, by Jeffrey smart, Jeff smart. Um, and it's like the, the a method or the method for hiring a players or something like that. The book, the just title is who, and, and it lays out these four steps of hiring. And it's from, um, building the scorecard, which is like, wh- what is the, a good job description to how do you do good sourcing and um, working with recruiters or getting your own, or really it's about building out your own network and, and finding and maintaining relationships with great people. How do we select, which is interviewing, and then how do we sell? And so those are the, the four, um, four steps of it. And so that book, you know, I read through it, we aligned on it, we started building this doc with and the link was uh, hiring.salesloft.com. It was an internal doc that um, was like, hey, this is how we think about hiring. Here are the different interviews. Here are how you write a job description. And we we just set out to become better at it um, and every day a little bit better. And from the, we they, I think in the book, they call it the performance profile. Um, and the performance profile is what, describe the job they need to do not the credentials they need to have because people oh, are more attracted to, okay, what, what is it that you want me to do? And even if I, I don't quite have the credentials you thought I might've needed, if I can convince you that I can do that job or I've done something similar to that job, even if it's a little bit different, especially in the early stage, you want to see those and find those people who are a bit different, but they, they, they believe they can do that job. And, and our job as interviewers is to find the best people who have the highest likelihood of doing a great job. And so it starts with really advertising it well by writing about it well. And that takes, you can't just copy and paste a job description from every other website. Um, Second thing that comes to mind is it has multiple interviews. It has these four different interviews, the screening interview, the focus interview, the top grade interview, and then the um, reference interview. And, um, the top grade is my favorite. And if I had to say, go learn about one thing to, to your listeners, it's go learn about the top grade interview. It is a chronological walk through someone's work history. And it just makes a lot more sense. Um, and it, the whole premise is that people, the best predictor of future performance is past. Unlike the stock market, it's the opposite for human behavior. 
Um, you could ask me what I think about uh, health, right? I'm like, oh man, I love health and like fitness. I'm like, oh man, I ran track in college, man. We're now we're talking health and fitness. It's like, oh man. So you think I'm, I'm a great candidate. If you ask me how many times I've been to the gym in the last 30 days, the answer is zero. So if your question is, what is the odds that Rob is going to go to the gym in the next 30 days? Uh, I would factor that in. And so it's this idea of using facts and nuggets from the past versus opinions from the future. And the story that stands out to me is I was interviewing somebody and I really had to train others on it because it's such, it's so easy. And the book unpacks this, they call it the voodoo methods of interviewing where we just go with our gut and we say, well, you know, that person just didn't seem, I came out of an interview and I talked to the team and they said, they just didn't seem, you know, like they really had a bias to action, like really a hard worker, um, which is one of our values. And I said, oh yeah, tell me about that. What, like, what makes you think that? And I, I don't know, I just didn't hear anything about that. And it was sort of this opinion about their, their, their perspective on this person. Well, I had done the top grade and in the top grade, a role that was not on their resume was when they worked at Foot Locker between college and like their first professional job. Cause I asked about every single role and we, we walked through, you know, the process for that. And I said, and when they told me about this, I asked them what's the hardest or the biggest accomplishment they had at that role. And they said, you know, it might've been something that wasn't even really my job directly. I said, well, tell me about that. And they said, well, um, my manager was opening three new stores and they were kind of doing it on their own. And I didn't want to leave them kind of doing it on their own. So for several weekends over the next couple of months, I helped them open all these new stores. Now, when I bring that back, that fact, that tidbit of information back, that's a whole different conversation. I'm not saying whether the person is a hard worker or not, but now we have a little bit more insight into the fact that here's somebody who worked weekends when they didn't have to, and they kind of sound like a hard worker to me versus just the opinions of you know, what they said about their future or what we assessed about it. Yeah, it's it's almost prioritizing fact over feelings. To your point about yeah. kind of the assumptions. But let, before we go to our kind of last topic, I did want to round this uh, with you know. So, I mean, SalesLoft is not a small organization. Uh, so you you kind of build out this whole concept of top grading, which I think is phenomenal. And to your point, you the the employer owns building those, not the employee. But how do you ultimately replicate that from a training perspective to get beyond just you? Because yeah. SalesLoft is not a small organization. Yeah. So we started with this uh, doc that was basically like the SOP for how we're going to do it, how, how we did interviewing. And then ironically, um, people generally want to emulate the leader, partly because they want to learn from them, but partly because it means job security, right? If this is how my <laughs> boss does it and I do it that way, then I can't get fired for it. Right. And so, um, so people started replicating the way we ran the process. And then the last piece is that I guess I'd brought in someone to run talent at some point. And I mean, well, we were still early stage, but we started doing classes on this is how this is how I do top grading. Um, and this is how the high level product work, how uh, process works. And um, and then after I did that a couple of times, we just recorded one of them and then we shared that internally. So now in the doc that says this is how we do the interview, there's a link to a video that you can watch. And so it was this just slow accumulation of artifacts around it. Um, and so taking the time to write it down or record it is really high leverage. And I think about any business leader, what you're looking for is leverage. And that's, it, I'll use the example. That's why I do one-on-ones. I can spend one hour of my time and I can unlock 80 hours of work 
and productivity and direction and excitement in one of my direct reports. And so that's super high leverage, one to 80. If I record this video once and then every employee going forward can listen to it, that's high leverage. So it's sometimes it's hard to slow down because we're in the like, just get it done mode. Um, but taking the time to look for those high leverage points and, and reinforcing that training. We created some spreadsheets around you know, how to walk through a top grade and stuff like that. But um, it's just the idea of, of beginning to capture it and build on it. It all looks like crap at the beginning and then it gets shinier over time. I love that concept of high leverage as a leader. That's a, that's a good nugget outside of what, we, uh, <laughs> what we're talking about is a big idea, but we might have to come back to that for, for another podcast. So cool. Rob, we've talked about why it's important. We've talked about some, the framework and the technique. So let's say a candidate has actually gotten through that four-step process that you described that sales off wants to bring them on. Uh, this is the kind of the, the biggest part of, may not the biggest part, but how do you close? <laughs> so how do you partner with that candidate to make sure that you can actually get them to sign with you guys? So walk us through your process for that. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a fork in the road with anything. And, and you either are intentional about it or you're not. And so one, many times when I ask people, Hey, well, what's your plan for closing? They don't really have a plan. And so one thing I would just encourage people is, Hey, do you have a plan for closing? And I'll tell you about mine and how I do it, but you don't have to do it this way. Just having a plan allows you to do the same thing in a consistent manner. And so then as you learn what is working and what's not working, you can iterate and get better at your own methodology and share that with others. Um, So before we jump into closing, I'd say selling is a huge part of it that I totally missed at the beginning. I originally learned to interview when I worked at Verizon and I was the technology interview. And so my job was really to knock people out of interviews who didn't know the technology. So I was more of like a screening interview. Well, when I go to, you know, start scaling SalesLoft, I'm using that same kind of mindset to knock people out. And I had this experience where I had interviewed five, six, seven, eight people and I'm, I'm evaluating them, evaluating them and evaluating and evaluating. And by the time we get to the end where I'm like, man, this person is the best, uh, they don't want to work there because they feel so evaluated. <laughs> and, um, and so I didn't spend any time selling and I'm sure they thought I was a jerk. And, uh, and they're like, man, what's wrong with this guy? Doesn't, doesn't he think I have options here? <laughs> so what I learned is that, um, and I, I reached out to a friend who was a recruiter who knew tons about you know, the whole, like the hiring process and really learned about selling. And so up front, right up front, I, I start to, to ask people about, you know, what are their goals and their hopes and dreams? And, you know, what are they looking for? What do they hope to, you know, to achieve next in their career and in their life? And I really start to come alongside them as a career coach. And they didn't ask me to be their career coach, but I don't really need permission anyway. So, but it's this idea that I want to know where, what, where they're going and what they want. Because if, if I hire them, well, isn't that my core responsibility as their manager and leader is to help them get there? So yeah. why wouldn't I want to know it as early as possible? And so I'm, I'm evaluating them, but I'm also getting to know them and, and selling along the way about the huge opportunity they have to come in on the ground floor of something worth nothing to get all this experience. I mean, right, you got to sell what you have. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, you got to find what that is and what resonates with them. And so then, so now fast forward, we get to close. I, since I haven't skipped the, that step in the beginning, now I know what they want. And so I can ask them, um, do you think sales loft is a good fit for you? Or do you think this job is a good fit for you? Is it, is this your top pick? And if they say, 
no, then we just stop right there. We say, okay, tell me more. Well, I'm wanting this, I'm wanting this, and this other company is going to pay me more. And, um, and I go, well, when I, when I heard back, when I go back to what you told me you wanted, you actually told me that, you know, pay was like the fourth thing. It's important. You need to be at competitive market rates. But you, have to, you told me that you kind of felt trapped by your pay sometimes. You wanted to work on a smaller team where you got more autonomy and you got to do more things with less red tape. And you have this other offer is from, who's it from? Or, yes, Oracle. No, not bashing Oracle, but I mean, come on. So, um, and, and so basically I can, I can bounce off of them. This is what you told me you were wanting. Is that still what you're wanting? And, and so we can align on that. So let's say they do say, yep, sales off top pick. Right then I say, why? And I shut my mouth because I want to hear them in their own words resell themselves on why it's a good fit. I might think I know, but they might have totally different reasons. They may say, you know, you know, this is, I've been really wanting to, I remember I hired somebody who they said, I'm a really good developer. Um, the reason I'm choosing SalesLock is because it seems like you push people on their soft skills and on their values. And I want to get better at that. Hmm. And I wouldn't have known that. And so now they're reselling themselves. And I say, well, that's awesome because you're not my top pick too. And then I give them two or three reasons very specific reasons to them why I think they're a great fit. And then we move into the closing process. The, the one thing, you know, I can't go into the whole thing. Um, but one thing I will say is that I also don't send them the offer letter immediately. And I tell them that I'm not going to send them the offer letter immediately. I say, why is that? this is our opportunity to build trust with each other. Uh, so walk me through what you mean by that. It's our first opportunity for me to say what I'm going to do and then do it. And then for a candidate to say what they're going to do and then do it. And when, when people say what they're going to do and do it, that builds trust. That's the essence of, uh, of consistency-based trust. And, um, and so what I tell them is, you know, um, I just the idea of collecting offer letters, I think, can be a little bit counterproductive. And it leads to just, um, you know, not being collaborative in the process. And so I, I'll be upfront about, here's what we're talking about for comp and equity. And if they say, oh, I want it in writing, like, oh yeah, send them an email. Here's a review of what, you know, we talked about from comp and equity and all that stuff. Um, but what I want to get to, to the point is say, okay, so are, are you in there? Yes, I'm in. I'm in. Great. So here's what's going to be in the offer letter. And I go through their title there. Cause imagine sometimes I miss that. Right. And someone gets it and they're like, oh man, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And now I'm a little turned off. And do I go back to them or do I just wait? And what do I do? But so I talk to them through that. I ask them what their start date's going to be. And that tells me a lot about, are they ready to really do this? And have they thought it out? I want to take a week off. I want to do my honey-do list. I want to, you know, whatever. Um, if they want to set a start date eight weeks in the future and we're a startup and we can't wait that long, then it's a conversation point that we can have. And finally, I say, okay, does that sound right? And they say, yep. And so when I send it, they... Um, they now, when they receive it and it has everything I says, I says, then they trust me a little bit more. And then I ask them, are you ready to sign it? And if they say yes, then I go, great, I'll send it to you now. And now they sign it. And if they say no, then, then that's a great time to say, well, why not? And let's just, let's be there. It's this kind of artificial constraint to just go collect offer letters. Let's be, and if you're not ready to sign, sometimes it's, I need to talk to my wife. It's like, great. I mean, why don't you take the weekend to do that? And then we'll reconnect on Monday. And so the biggest part of closing is staying close to the, to the candidate and from close all the way to the first day, because, and you should see an ev uh, escalating level of interaction. 
if we were on email, it moves to text. If it was on text, I, we're having phone calls. And then when we're ready to do it, I send it, you sign it. We both feel good because we, we started off in this foot of trust. And now as your manager going forward, then, um, then I'm, I'm kind of starting from a, from a better place. And if something seems off, then you can, you can tell me that and we can have that conversation. Yeah. I think a few observations from what I just heard you say is, uh, Similar to what you do in top grading, you do during the selling and close. What I mean by that is it gets away from uh, subjective to objective. Uh, and so what you're doing is you're really understanding what's important, what matters, and getting those facts out so that you can actually uh, make those decisions that collectively make sense for both sides. And I think the other point is really what you were describing. It's, it becomes more of a transition from transactional to relational. And really, you're yes. walking alongside that candidate and you're really desiring what's best for them. And it's a more of a partnership than it is um, that, hey, sign the offer letter. What do I need to do? It's not going to be about money. It's more about, hey, what like what are your hopes, dreams, desires? And then make sure yeah. that we understand what the priorities are so we can make the best decision for you. If it's sales loft or if it's something else, which, yeah. I, which I admire. Um, imagine that now you have, you have managers or other people who are hiring in your company. And you imagine you're trying to support them and they say, oh, I lost that candidate because it's happened. I've lost candidate. They said yes. They've even signed it. And then you lose them. And so having a kind of a methodology for how you do it, and no one way is perfect, but having kind of a, a way that you do it internally, um, it gives you a way to support them because then you can ask them like, hey, I mean, had they accepted it before you sent it to them? Like, Because if you're seeing a high decline rate, then that means something is wrong in your close process that they, they weren't ready to come work for you or they weren't sold. And they just didn't tell you and they knew it and you didn't. And which, again, that goes back to us getting better at this process of, of, of uh, setting the table for our people to come work at a great yeah. environment. Yeah. It's kind of like assessing your sales funnel <laughs> and seeing, yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> you know what's, where is it broken? Uh, but this has been a, a, a great prescriptive process, very convicting for me. And I think that the point that you made at the very beginning, which is so true is that uh, you own it as the employer, not the employee. And it's really up to you whether you're going to prioritize it or not. Because if you, if you don't, then no one else is going to do it. So as a leader, we need to leverage that uh, to make sure we get the right people in the right seat. Um, so there thank you, you for walking through why it's important, the techniques, the framework, and ultimately how do you close. Uh, Rob, any final thoughts as it relates to this big topic around people? Um, start where you're at and just get a little bit better every single day, right? It's um, Everyone can run the process a little different, you know, just because it's the way how I did it or we did it. Um, you know, don't, don't feel like that is, uh, sometimes people don't get started because they feel like the barrier is so high. Like we need to do all these things differently. You know, just, just pick, pick one thing and it will be an investment that pays back because anything invested in, um, hiring great people or leading great people, um, will, will, will pay dividends. Yeah. I'm sure you never regret taking the time to get the right people in. It's usually the, the opposite. So exactly. uh, Rob, in closing, what are ways in which our audience can engage, both with you, but also with sales loft, or some practical next steps they can take. Yeah, so uh, you know, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn. They can engage there, um, and then you know the sales loft website and blog, um, and you know, feel free to to reach out directly to me if I can be of service. All right, Rob. Well, thank you again for making the time and walking us through your process. Uh, I know I benefited from it, and I'm sure the rest of our audience will. So, thanks again, and we'll be in touch soon. My pleasure. See you, man. All right. See ya.